Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 070. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, every race has a potential wall, an obstacle that you hit, and it makes you feel like you can't go any further. Sure, this happens in physical events, but also in our everyday lives. The Apostle Paul runs into this himself with the Corinthian church. He's trying to do good, and he runs into the naysayers who try to rip him down. Paul's response can give us a lot to work with when we also run into walls, even if we aren't Christians. Check it out. Every race has a potential wall to it. Just about every race I've run has had one. Maybe it's a certain mile marker. Maybe it's literally a certain obstacle, sometimes even literally a wall. Maybe it's a certain amount of time that you've been going at it. You hit a point where it just feels like you cannot go one step further. Like your arms are lead weights, like your feet are stuck in quicksand. It can happen in our faith life as well. Where we, maybe we have things going well. We found our place in a mission that's bigger than us. We are learning from those that are around us. We are maybe even seeing some positive results internally, externally, around us. And then something from the outside gets in our way, becomes that wall. Maybe your mission or sometimes even harsher, your motivation gets questioned by people outside. Maybe even in your own head, you start to wonder. Maybe even your confidence in your faith starts to waver a little bit. What do we do when we hit that wall? Because this is something that, while the context of this message and this passage and Paul's responses to these kinds of walls that get put up, while they are decidedly Christian, it is not just Christians that ever have to deal with this. It fits just as well for trying to do good in the secular arena, out in the work world, out in the schools, where if you're trying to do good, the day comes when somebody tries to step in your way, tries to become a stumbling block, tries to be a wall. So how do we respond to that? We take a look at how Paul did it when he faced that very idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides, We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel in the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God, does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, 
but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, this day, help us to learn from your servant, Paul. Help us to be transformed by how he faced obstacles. Amen. As I said, Paul knows a little bit something about this discouragement of hitting a wall, of hitting an obstacle. Because this letter, 2 Corinthians, is probably one of Paul's most personal, most heartfelt letters that he gives, even though the Corinthians are sort of fickle Paul fans at best. They've got false teachers starting to abound in their church who are trying to discredit Paul, trying to say, you know what, Paul is just in it for what he can get out of it. All he's thinking about is himself. Now Paul, he doesn't really care too much about his ego. They can trash him all all they want. And it's not even, the the attacks on on his credibility aren't even the worst that he faces. I'll get into that in a second. It's his credibility that he's worried about. His ego, again, they can trash that, but if his credibility goes, then his message goes with it. He wants to still be able to speak into these people's lives. So what does he do? How does he respond? With these four ideas that I'll give you. And again, these are things that, while it is built in a Christian context, these are ideas that work just as well in a secular context. How we respond. What do we hang on to? when we run into that wall and it feels like we can't make one more step forward. Paul hangs on to his hunger, or you may say his determination. We see it right in verse 1. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. The attacks on Paul's credibility, his sincerity, are not the worst that he faces. He has been shipwrecked. He has been imprisoned. He has had people make attempts on his life, trying to kill him. If Paul is not sincere, why is he doing this? Why is he carrying on trying to preach? Why is he trying to to put this message out? He keeps going because he says, by God's grace, we are engaged in this mission. Warren Wiersbe puts it, he sees his mission as something given to him by God. Something that he is a steward of. And like a steward of just about anything, he is, we might think of it as he's a caregiver. He's the one held responsible for it, for this mission that God has given him. And having a calling like that, Paul wants to do right by it. Paul wants to honor God for giving him a mission like that. And so he knows, this is not my invention. I did not design this kind of thing for my life. Lord knows before God called him. He was headed in a very different direction as far as how his faith would play out in his life. He was killing Christians rather than serving to be their missionary. And like us, when we have that calling to to be on a mission that's bigger than us, bigger than ourselves, we try and do our best to do well by it, to do right by it. Because we know that it is God's mission and therefore it is by God's strength that Paul can do these kinds of things. It is God's mission for us, so we can do it. 
by God's strength, not just on our own. Paul also has the thing that he can hang on to when he hits this wall. He has his honesty. He has his straight shooter, shoot from the hip kind of personality way about him that we see in verse 2. It says, we have renounced the shameful things that one hides, that the false teachers hide. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. Paul says, here's who I am, like it or leave it. This is what I'm about. You know where you stand with him. You know where he stands. The way the Living Bible puts it, they said, we will not trick people into believing. We will not try and bait and switch people into the Christian faith. The false teachers who were starting to gather up in Corinth, they might not have been able to say that. They might have tried to Ponzi scheme somebody into their church, trick them, give them false claims, give them what they wanted to hear so that they could turn into their believers. Wrong on a hundred different levels. Not worth going there. We, like Paul, can simply shoot straight with the message. But we might think, if I tell my neighbor that I believe in Jesus, they'll never come to church. Maybe. Maybe not yet. But yes, sometimes when we shoot straight, when we're honest about what we believe and what we think, we get rejected. We get turned down. You know what? I'm guessing Paul, probably one of the greatest missionaries ever, got rejected. That Billy Graham or D.L. Moody or just about any missionary that has been worth their salt has gotten rejected, has gotten turned down. Maybe has even gotten spit in the face over their message. But that's when we hang on to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, in his first letter to this church. When he said, I plant the seed. Maybe Apollos waters it. Maybe Bev tends to the weeds. Maybe Marie is making sure that the shade isn't in the wrong place. I'm not a gardener, so I'm kind of making some of, the, some of these techniques up as I go. But God is the one who brings the growth. Whatever the mission looks like, God is the one who makes the change, not us. And so we can hang on to that, take comfort in that even. That we can be honest about who we are and what we believe and trust those results to God. In the last 10 years, I've gotten the chance to do a good handful of weddings of people particularly that have been kind of across the spectrum as far as their faith life. And one couple that uh, is good friends with me, even today, their faith is minimal at best. But they have always at least respected the fact that I have a, a particular faith and Knowing that, they still asked me to do their wedding. And I remember having the conversation as we're planning out the ceremony. And I, I wanted to respect the fact that I knew faith was not their thing, so I, I had to acknowledge that. But at the same time, I would tell them, I'm still a pastor. I'm still a Christian. I would be dishonest to you and to myself and to what I'm representing and to everybody that's going to celebrate this event with you, if I were to take out God and the Bible and Scripture and prayer from your wedding, I would have nothing to offer you. If you guys are all right with that, with me being honest about who I am, even if it doesn't entirely line up with your personal beliefs, then we're good. And they were willing to do that. 
respect the fact that at least I was able to be honest about where I stood, what I was bringing to the table, and then we could all in good conscience have an incredible celebration of their wedding and their marriage. Shoot straight, be honest, trust those results to God. What else does Paul have? What else does he count on? He counts on his humility. Again, I said, he wrote two letters to this church at Corinth. We're reading the second one now, but again, in that first one, just before the part where he says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God brought about the change, he gives what really might be his life verse in 1 Corinthians 2.2, when he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I resolved to have the spotlight on somebody else, on Jesus, not on me. Now, for all the things that went wrong in Paul's life, for all the times that he probably faced beatings, being in prison, having people spit in his face over his faith, question him, try to gang up on him, Paul did a lot of things right as far as earning the right to speak into the lives of these people. In Philippians, he lays out a resume that basically makes him a religion giant. I say this because he had every reason to make it about him. To be, I got the PhD, I got this rank and this award and this accolade. He has every reason to have the temptation of making it about him. But he says, I choose to know nothing except Jesus and him crucified. In that very letter, this first letter to the Corinthians, he calls himself a servant of God. Another way of putting it, he calls himself a slave of God. Now, what kind of ego goes into calling yourself a slave? There's no machismo in that word, especially when we put it on ourselves. It's a gut-check topic, and, and sometimes a, a tough one to face. When there's an occasion when we're doing, trying to do good, and we ask ourselves, is this about me? Or put another way that's maybe a little bit easier to try and answer, would I still do this good thing if I never got the credit for it? That's the gut check. And I honestly believe a lot of the people in this room would look at some of the good things you've done, big, small, in between, whatever, and say, yeah, I'm willing to do it, even if I never get the credit. I've seen firsthand people who have done good things and taken extreme measures to make sure they don't get the credit. People want to be behind the scenes. So I have no doubt that that is a gut check that goes in your favor, but it's still one worth asking. Paul says that we have this message, this treasure in clay jars. And the thing about a clay jar is that they're often not really much to look at. They're just plain jars. They are vessels for what is inside. And there's one more problem with a clay jar, and it goes to the fourth point of what Paul hangs on to when he faces these walls in his life. The problem with having a treasure in a clay jar is a clay jar is opaque. You can't see in it. You can't see through it. So long as I'm looking at the jar, unglamorous as it may be, I cannot see what is inside of it. So how do people in the world, how do people even in the church, see the light that is in these jars of clay? We see it when the jar is broken. We see it when the diagnosis comes in the way maybe we didn't want. 
and the jar is broken and the world has a chance to see the treasure inside and how we respond and where our faith takes us. We see it when our spouse or our child breaks our heart and the vessel, the jar, is broken and the world gets to see the light inside. We see it maybe when we get cut from the team or we miss out on the chance for the job or the promotion and the jar, the vessel, is broken and the world gets to see the light inside. But when life breaks the jar, when life breaks us, the light we get to see is the promises that Paul gives to the Corinthians. That we are afflicted, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. My friends, when it seems like the wall is too big, you'll never get over it. When it seems like the giant is too strong in your life, whatever it is that the giant is, these are the promises given for you by the Christ that lives in you. Promises that will hold up no matter what that wall is. We are accursed, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Whatever wall it is that you face, I want you to remember those promises. Because again, they are the promises of Christ for you by the Christ that lives in you. Take those promises and race on. Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. See you next week in the Woodlane Worship Podcast.